Throughout this Christmas season, we're in this series called In the Waiting. As it turns out, the Christmas story has a lot to do with waiting. We read the Christmas story and we encounter people who for generations have been waiting for the coming of Messiah. And even as they were waiting for his first coming, we now wait for his return. So as we, as we remember the Christmas story, as we look at different elements in the Christmas story, we're, we're highlighting these key themes that really help empower and equip us to be people who wait well. And with that in mind, this morning, we come to the theme of peace. You can't read the Christmas story without encountering this theme of peace. And and even as we come to this theme, I think we have to to acknowledge that even as we celebrate the Prince of Peace, we look around us and in places we see so much of where God's peace is lacking. We see that internationally, we see it culturally, and many of us, we see it in our own lives. So I thought, even as we come to this topic, let's just pray about what we are going to be talking about this morning. Gracious God, as we go through the Christmas season, we celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace. But even as we celebrate that reality, we, we look around and see so many places where that isn't happening. We look globally and we think about the the ongoing conflict in the Ukraine. We think about the tragedy and conflict that has taken place in the Middle East, in Israel. And Father, we acknowledge that sometimes we we get so accustomed to this kind of activity that we, we grow numb to it. But even as we see these tragedies continue to unfold, we pray for your justice and your peace. We pray for those in decision-making authority. And Father, even as we think about those situations, I think even closer to home, I think some of us, we walk into this room and there's tension in our lives, there's stress in our lives, there's conflict in certain relationships that is weighing us down. And in those situations, we pray for peace. So may we be attention, maybe we be attuned this morning to this message of peace that permeates the Christmas story. And may we pray as Jesus taught us to pray that your will would be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And we pray that in his name. Amen. A few years ago on social media, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the creative genius behind the hit musical Hamilton, posted this on social media. I guess I can't say he tweeted anymore. I don't know how you say X'd, so we'll just say he posted this on social media. It's actually a quote from the Old Testament book of Micah. Everyone shall sit under their own tree, uh, under, under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. Micah 4.4. As it turns out, he's posted this verse on multiple occasions. Undoubtedly, he came across this quote when he was researching Hamilton because this was actually a favorite verse of George Washington. Upon quoting this verse at one point in social media, he followed up with this post. He said, I'm not particularly religious, but the notion of a world where everyone feels safe 
is calling me right now. I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know how you think about Christianity or Christmas. But my guess is for most of us, when we, when we encounter this theme of peace that really permeates the Christmas story, there's something that resonates deep within. It really is a theme that I think can draw us in. And like he says, <laughs> that kind of world is calling me right now. Not surprisingly, since this theme is linked in the Old Testament with the coming of Messiah, and as it turns out, the passage from Micah that he's quoting is really part of a larger vision of the kind of world the Messiah will bring. Since this theme of peace is deeply rooted in the promises of the Old Testament, we come across the same theme when we hear the announcement of Jesus' birth. Remember this familiar passage from Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Of course, as I've already said, this, this angelic announcement is actually deeply rooted in the promises of the Old Testament deeply rooted in this anticipation that one day God is going to set to rights the world which has gone so terribly wrong. And one of the most famous statements of that reality comes from the book of Isaiah, who looks to the future, and his prophetic vision includes these words, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. And then he unpacks that last title even further of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. It's a powerful vision, isn't it? And as I said, I think wherever you're at, whatever you think about Christianity or Christmas, there's got to be something in this vision that just resonates with you. At some level, there's got to be part of you saying, oh, wouldn't that be great if? Wouldn't the world be a better place if? Now, as we watch those shepherds <laughs> on that quiet night whose lives are suddenly interrupted by this angelic message, as we watch them embrace this message, we, we really don't know that much about their background. I mean, we can make certain assumptions based on their, on their line of work and their location, but we, we don't know all that they were thinking as they proceeded to Bethlehem. But we do know this, they were curious, right? We need to find out more. So they headed off to discover this baby who had been born. What about you? 
When you hear these familiar words from Luke chapter 2, the announcement of the birth of this one who brings peace, what, what, what do you hear? I, perhaps for some of us, we're so familiar with the Christmas story, we don't really think about the radical nature of this announcement anymore. I mean, maybe we resonate with the sentiment, right? Like Lin-Manuel Miranda, there's something deeply appealing about these words. But maybe you also say, well, this is, this is just what we say at Christmas. These are just words on a page. These are just lyrics that we sing to make ourselves feel good at the end of the year. And then the truth is we look around personally, culturally, internationally, and we say, where's the peace? How do, how do we take this seriously? Well, whatever you think about this announcement, let me challenge you to see that the Christmas story is filled with people who want to know more. Right here we see these Jewish shepherds. They hear of the one who brings peace and they want to know more. In a similar way, we, we watch the road trip of those wise men, those astrologers in the east who've, who've been intrigued by what they saw in the stars and they want to know more. So just for a few minutes, can we join these individuals on the road to Bethlehem to just explore this message, this message of peace? And I think as we explore this message, we need to understand how the Bible describes peace. So how does, how does the Bible really de describe peace? Now, it would take a lot of time to work through all the different nuances, but, but in kind of broad terms, I think it's, it's first of all important to understand when the Bible talks about peace, the Bible wants us to understand the problem. Now, you and I, can, we can use peace, the term peace, the concept of peace in different contexts, and those contexts can carry various nuances of different meanings, but let's acknowledge in certain contexts the term peace implies some type of previous conflict, right? In certain contexts, the, the term peace implies some type of previous conflict. Uh, conflict. Five years ago, I, our family was traveling in Israel, and on one of the days we were there, we actually did a day trip into the nation of Jordan. And there is a border crossing from Israel to Jordan, just north of the Red Sea. And there's the Israeli checkpoint on one side, there's the Jordanian checkpoint on the other side. And there's a paved road in between which you walk across. It's several hundred yards. And this was in July. Candidly, not the smartest time to go to Israel, but it worked for our schedule. It's extremely hot. It's over 100 degrees. And not surprisingly, when we get to the Israeli checkpoint, we're the only people there. So we clear customs. We kind of get through the legal protocols. And then the guy says, head in that direction. <laughs> So off the five of us head on this road, and we are the only people walking across. It really, it, to be honest with you, it was a, kind of a weird, eerie experience. And as I'm walking across this road, I am aware of two historical realities. 
The first is this. I'm aware of the fact that historically this road once hosted a very significant event. Because on a certain date in 1994, a, a large podium and stage was constructed on this side and a big desk was placed on that stage. And behind that desk sat the, pre sat the President of the United States and the Prime Minister of Israel and the King of Jordan. And together, they signed a binding peace treaty. So I was aware of that. But I was also aware of another historical reality, and perhaps this was at the forefront of my mind. I was aware of the reality that before this area was the location of the signing of a historic peace treaty, it was a minefield. And you know, you're kind of walking across going, I know they cleared it thoroughly, and that's been years and years ago, but I just hope they didn't miss one. And so, walking across that road was this tangible reality of a location where peace has been established that followed serious conflict. And when we talk about peace in the pages of Scripture, we need to come to grips with the reality that that is exactly how the Bible describes our journey of peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about experiencing this peace that Christ brings, but he also says this. He says, for if while we were, notice this, God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It's, it's strong language, isn't it? You were God's enemies. And maybe at one level, Paul, we, we want to say, Paul, look, that's kind of harsh. You know, I tried to live a good life, tried to be a good person. We may not think of ourselves in these terms Yet this is exactly what the authors of Scripture want us to see. You see, they want us to understand that when you, when you comprehend the beauty of the world that God created, it, it was a world filled with harmony and connection, integrity and flourishing. The way Old Testament authors talk about this, they frequently use a term called shalom. And it's, it's a term that can be translated as peace. But see, the, the biblical image of peace is often more than the absence of conflict. It is the, it's the presence of this flourishing, this wholeness, this connectedness, this relational harmony and and the bible wants us to understand that this was god's design this was god's intent this is how god created the world that we are part of but obviously sin brings rupture our disobedience brings rupture to this harmony it brings about cracks in the foundation 
For instance, even when you th think about the, the terminology of shalom, you know, one of the things you could do in the ancient world, you could, you could look at a city wall and maybe there's a part of that wall that is now collapsed. And in looking at that, you could say the, the wall has lost its shalom. Right? It's lost its wholeness, its togetherness. It's unity. Maybe thinking closer to home, we can think about Paul Myra and sinkholes, right? <laughs> right? You remember 422? Do you remember that? Some of you paid for it, thank you very much, with your taxes. And, and, and you know, we, we, we've, we've seen the realities of things caving in. We've seen the kind of the loss of symmetry, the way things are now, in, you know, not functioning as they are designed and what we can say is that, you know Paul Myra lost shalom that's kind of the that's this biblical image and the, the biblical writers want us to understand that this is the way God created the world but now we are experiencing the brokenness it, 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 it ruptures the world that God has created it fractures the world God has created, and, and that includes not simply fracturing our relationship with God, but fracturing our relationships with others, even fracturing the way we understand ourselves, and in so many ways, the entrance of sin is, is the fracturing, the rupturing of God's vision of shalom. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul really describes the way this fracturing, this rupturing unfolds. And he makes an interesting argument. He says, basically, first of all, that in the fracturing of God's creation, in the rupturing of what God has designed, we, we ignore God. That's part of the result of sin in our lives. And then he says this. He says, not only do we, we ignore God because we've been created to be worshiping creatures, he says we replace God with other things. He said, this is, this is part of that rupturing of the world in which we live. We, we, we give ultimate significance to other things in our lives. I was thinking about that recently because one of the books I'm reading is a book by uh, a gifted author named Tara, let me make sure I get her name right, Tara Isabella Burton. The book is called Self-Made creating our identities from da Vinci to the Kardashians. And it's a book where she's looking at our culture and she's talking about the fact that we've reached a point where the cultural messaging we hear is you have to create yourself. You have to be true to yourself, to your own desires. And this is how we create meaning and significance and understanding in our world. And, and here's the way she describes it. And understand, she's not, I don't think she's necessarily writing from a Christian position. She's just writing about what she sees in the world around us. She says this, we have turned our backs on the idea of a creator God out there and instead place God within us. Our obsession with self-creation is also an obsession with the idea that we have the power that we once believed God did to remake ourselves and our identities, not in the image of God, but in that of our own desires. And what's fascinating is, and again, She's not necessarily coming from a Christian perspective, but what's fascinating is she, she reached the conclusion that this desire to make ourselves, to make our own meaning and our own identity becomes a weighty burden that at times crushes our very soul. 
And I read that. And I think this exactly dovetails with the way Paul describes our own experience. The way he describes the unraveling of God's creation, the fracturing of God's creation that sin introduces, and the loss of peace, the loss of unity and wholeness and integrity, the loss of shalom. Cracks in the foundation. So if, if we if were to come to grips with this message of peace that the angels heard, I think it's important for us to kind of come to grips with the problem <laughs> that the Bible describes in the problem. The Bible says it begins with you, it begins with me. It's this rupturing at the very core of who we are that even brings us to a state of being enemies with God. But even as the Bible describes the problem, it also describes the solution. As we saw earlier, right, the prophet Isaiah is one of those Old Testament prophets that looks to the future and he sees the coming of Messiah and he says, this is the one who will bring peace. This is the one who will restore the goodness, the unity, the harmony that is designed into God's creation. And not only does he describe what is coming, he also describes how the Messiah will achieve this. And think about these familiar words from Isaiah chapter 53, right? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us, what? Peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, shalom, flourishing, unity, harmony can be restored. Of course, you know, for Jesus' followers, as Jesus grows up, this is the part of the message that they found hard to comprehend. Because I think for so many people around Jesus, they looked and they thought, well, the problem, the obstacle to peace are those other people, right? And we always have a tendency, the problem is always the other guys, right? In their case, the problem was the Roman occupier. So maybe Jesus would come and the peace he would bring would be the peace that comes when Rome would be kicked out of Israel. But Jesus was coming and saying, no, <laughs> the problem is deeper than you think. The problem is not simply with them, the problem is with you as well. And so I've come to address that problem at the deepest level in each of our lives because I've come to bear the weight of your sin and brokenness, the punishment of that sin, the, the weightiness of that in your life that breaks shalom, and I have come to carry that myself, which I will do on the cross. And my death and resurrection will now offer you the peace, the forgiveness, the new life, the restoration that only I can give. And that is the ultimate message of peace, which those shepherds didn't fully understand at the moment, but that's the message of peace that they were actually hearing in those fields 
outside Bethlehem. This is why he went to the cross. To bear the weight, the punishment of our sin, to establish peace. And it's by accepting, accepting that gift through faith that we can experience this true peace, this true shalom. Now, as you think about that, let let me just kind of highlight, I think, two implications of this peace that Jesus brings. We could highlight many. I'm just going to highlight two just as, as observations for you. The first implication of this peace is this. This peace brings us into new community. You know, in our context, we look at the polarization in our culture and maybe we think red and blue, right? Red states, blue states, we talk in those categories. In the ancient world, one of the lines of polarization was Jew and Gentile. Yet Paul in the book of Ephesians describes how Christ's work has brought down the wall of separation between those groups. How peace The peace that Christ brings creates new relationships and a deeper sense of community. I was thinking about that this week. I was just kind of mindful of some recent conversations I've had with people in our church family. As it turns out, for some people, this has been a really hard year. For some of us, we've lost loved ones. For some of us, we've experienced a downturn in our job prospects or our job situations. For some of us, there's been an unexpected medical diagnosis. And I was thinking about some conversations I've had with people in our church who fit into those categories. And also just the way other people in our church family have come alongside to encourage, to walk with, to be there for. As one person has told me on more than one occasion, I don't know how people do this without a church family. That's the community that the peace of Christ brings. I'll just give you another interesting example. Jonathan Haidt is a a researcher at New York University. He's a best-selling New York Times author. He's a sociologist. His current research project really focuses on the ways in which social media, online technology have negatively affected young adults, teens, in in terms of their mental health. He's actually conducting a major research project along these lines that will lead to a book coming out in March called The Anxious Generation, and then I'm confident that that book will hit the New York Times bestseller list. In preparation for the book's release, he's doing a lot of interviews, and he was recently interviewed by a Christian podcaster. And I appreciated his transparency and his honesty because he was pretty open in the interview, even though he's talking to, you know, a Christian audience, he was pretty open. Look, I'm, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic. And he said, I have to be honest, I grew up kind of with a mindset that was kind of... <laughs> condescending and skeptical about religious people and religious groups. But then he said this, he said, my views have changed over the years. And he made this bold assertion, which I think will actually be in his book. He said, my research is clear. He said, when it comes to these mental health issues, religious communities really do make a difference.
And he unpacked that. And it was almost like this guy who, in so many ways, is skeptical of Christianity, was looking at this Christian and going, there's something you have that is truly important right now. And I listened and I thought, you're right. It's the peace of Christ. It's a community that comes alongside people and walks with them because we've been brought together by this amazing message of the gospel. So in thinking about this peace that Jesus brings, one of the things we have to acknowledge, and I think one of the things we're challenged to be a part of, and we'll even talk about this more as we move into 2024 and look at the book of Hebrews, but we're challenged to be a part of this community that has experienced this new peace that only Jesus can bring. So this peace brings about new community. But a second thing that it brings about is I think a deeper sense of mission and purpose. Let me show you this picture. This is a guy named Wayne Murray. Okay, 10 days ago, he won $10 million in the New York lottery with a scratch card. Now here's the really crazy part of the story. He also won $10 million with a scratch card 16 months ago. Now, what do you think when I tell you that story? For some of you, your first question is, can you tell me which convenience store he uses to buy, <laughs> right, to buy a scratch card? Is there like a Wawa in New York that I need to know about? Or? No, I don't know. But is, is there part of you that kind of looks at this guy's picture and go, you kind of go, what? Why does that happen to him? Why can I never get a break like that? Have you ever felt like life is just stacked against you? Have there been moments in your life, maybe even recently, maybe even downturns you experienced this year where you go, it just doesn't matter. It, it's never going to work out for me. It, it always works against me. It, yeah, it works out for guys like this but it's not working out for me. Do you ever find yourself wrestling with those, those negative thoughts? You know, it's interesting in the life of the Apostle Paul, once he became a Christian, his life actually becomes more complicated. It really does. There's more hardship, more opposition, more conflict. But as you, as you read his letters, there's also this deepening sense that his life is part of a bigger story that God was with him every step of the way. And he has this confidence, this boldness to say that God's peace is, is always available to us. Now, do, do you ever think that could be true in your life? Does it have to be that life always breaks positively for me, or is there... Is there a peace that I can experience from God that can even bring a sense of hope and direction and meaning and purpose even when I feel the cracks of the world around me? You see, this is, <laughs> this is the kind of peace that Jesus offers. This is the peace that his death makes possible. 
And so that then leads to this invitation. This, this biblical vision of peace comes with an invitation, and I'll just, just highlight two words or two phrases for you. And, and the first is embrace it. Embrace it. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're just joining us online. You found us online and you've kind of been watching every now and then and you're curious or maybe you have a church background but it, you would say, you know, the Christianity thing never just really worked for me and I realize we all have different stories and I'm not denying the weightiness of whatever you've gone through. But I also want you to hear that this, this invitation to experience God's peace this peace at the heart of the Christmas story, it's an invitation made to you. To realize kind of the, the brokenness, the cracks in our own lives, but to realize also that that's not the end of the story. That God's plan of restoration and renewal of wholeness is underway. And he offers forgiveness and peace. And so even as those... <laughs> Wise men, though, shepherds were curious about what was going on. I invite you to be curious as well, to explore this for yourself. And ultimately, I invite you to cross the line by taking that first step of receiving Christ's gift of forgiveness, by just acknowledging your need and receiving this gift of peace and forgiveness through faith. So I invite you to embrace it. Likewise, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, um, can I just encourage you, let this, this Christmas season be a reminder of the peace that Jesus brings. But in reminding you, please remember this as well. Jesus says that his peace is different <laughs> than the other ways we describe peace. Remember what he says in John 14, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, but I, I don't give it to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I, I don't give it to you as the world lives. I mean, I realize Jesus says that many will tell you that peace can only come when there's no conflict, when there's no disagreement, when all of life flows according to your plans. But I am coming bringing a different peace, a deeper peace that is rooted in your relationship with me. And a peace that you can experience regardless of the particular circumstances that you are going through right now. So maybe if this particularly has been kind of a challenging year, difficult year, there have been certain setbacks or surprises or complications, would you allow this just to be a season that brings you back to the truth that Christ can bring strength and wholeness and flourishing to our lives? So if you lost sight of that recently, just once again join, join the shepherds in going to Bethlehem to see the wonder of the one who brings peace. As it turns out in the pages of scripture, uh, not only are we encouraged to embrace this peace, we are also challenged and commanded to embody it. In point of fact, peace isn't simply a gift, it's also a responsibility. For instance, even as Paul talks about the peace with God later in the book, he says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. 
This week in my reading, an author made an interesting comment. He said this, he said, he said, we're familiar with the term hurting people hurt people. But we also need to understand this is true. Quote, peaceable people, peace people. I thought that's good. We're called to be agents of peace. And in different ways, the, the New Testament highlights what this looks like. I'll just mention two. I mean, it's clear in the pages of the New Testament that to be an agent of peace is simply being a person who doesn't repay evil for evil. Don't be that person that simply strikes back when relationships become complicated. Secondly, in the pages of Scripture, to be an agent of peace is, is to be a person who learns to be for others. That is, we see people of peace build others up, right? Kind of flowing out of that identity of, of being rooted in Christ and the peace that that brings, it overflows into our relationships with others. So along those lines, um, just do this thought experiment with me for a moment. Think about the people you will encounter over the next couple of weeks. I realize, you know, maybe you've, you've had most of your Christmas parties, but there's, maybe there's going to be one other thing at work or whatever that looks like. Think about the people you're going to encounter over the next couple of weeks as we go through the Christmas season and into the new year. People at your work, people you go to school with. How can, how can you be for them? What does that look like? Likewise, I know many of us will, are going to be spending time uh, with friends and family, maybe some people that you don't see regularly. You're going to see members of your extended family. I know that's true in our household. Um, our two sons who live away will be flying in. And so we have these opportunities. So how can we make the most of them? What does it look like for you to make the most of these conversations? Just kind of think through that. And maybe the truth is in one of these relationships, there's been some strain. Maybe some, you know, not necessarily conflict, but just drifting apart. Maybe there's a relationship important to you, a member of your family, a parent, a child, where you say, you would simply say, we're, we're not communicating like we used to. Maybe even your spouse. So what, what step can you take to be an agent of peace this Christmas season? We began a few moments ago with a description of the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. Shepherds whose lives were upended by the radical message, the announcement of the birth of the one who brings peace. So my question to you is this. <laughs> Will you embrace this message? Will you embody it? Let's pray together. Gracious God, it's, it's in some ways hard to envision what, what those shepherds experienced that night, this host of an angelic choir, the message of the one who comes who brings peace. 
And I acknowledge, you know, for some of us, we, we go through the Christmas season every year. We're familiar with the words, the text, the songs, the hymns, the anthems. And we kind of just kind of go through the motions without being gripped by the depth of the message. So, Father, even now, may just this reality of the peace that comes through Jesus, may it just grip our hearts and minds. And as we think along those lines, Father, I pray, first of all, for those who may be joining us in person online who kind of know about Jesus, but they've yet to begin that journey. I pray just maybe in a new and vibrant way this message of Christmas would sink in and they would be willing to take that step of faith to begin the journey of following the one who brings peace. And likewise for us who are already on that journey, may this just this moment just be a time where in the busyness of the season and all that has to be done, this truth of this peace, this wholeness, rooted in a relationship with you, that that would just sink in. Father, would it just bring joy to our hearts, this peace that you have established. May it just kind of bring a calming presence to address some of the anxieties and weightiness that some of us are carrying right now. That even in the midst of the chaos and the messiness, you are the one bringing wholeness and restoration and flourishing. And Father, may that truth also just empower and equip us to embody this peace. So that, that we are people that are really agents of peace in the conversations that we're going to have over the next couple of weeks. Conversations with friends, conversations with family. May we be those people who embody and live out your peace. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas as we now move towards Christmas and hope you'll be able to join us on Christmas Eve. But as you go, may you be reminded that the message of Christmas is a message of peace. So let's embrace it and embody it. As you go, we're going to have members of our prayer team who are here, and we would love to pray with you this morning. If there are ways in which we can encourage you, pray with you, even things that are weighty on you this Christmas season. So even as we think about peace, let us join you in praying for that, even this morning. Amen. Thank you.